Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us this Sunday morning here at Connect Church Online. If it's your very first time, welcome. I hope you're enjoying the morning so far. If you've been before, you'll recognize that we're in a new uh, space this morning. We thought we'd uh, try something different. We're here in the fireside room. I've got my cup of tea. Hope you're uh, drinking your tea or coffee at home this morning. Um, we wanted to just change things up a bit because we're all having to make adjustments right now, aren't we? We're all having to, to change things, to, um, to do things differently. If you're a school teacher, you've had to make some big adjustments. Parents have had to make some adjustments. Kids have had to make some big adjustments. Sports commentators, they've had to make big adjustments. There's, there's nothing left to commentate. So rather than sit around doing nothing, they've had to get creative. Check out this sports commentator from England. So into the final minute and Olive in possession, but this is where Mabel is strong, chasing the game, using that intensity. We saw it in the semi-final, staring at a slightly torn cloth rabbit for over seven and a half minutes. And perhaps a few signs of overconfidence from her rival, a bit of showboating, needs to be careful. And there's the change from the classic hold. Still placed on the outside, though. Great technique. And a glance at the youngster who shows little emotion, but her mind will be empty. 20 seconds to go now. Olive closing in on victory and that coveted prize of being told she's a very good dog. One paw to control and a switch. Now Mabel sensing this might be a chance. Still waiting. Still believing. And you wonder what Olive is doing here, only has to hold on, going to the upright though, high tariff, with no opposable thumbs, high risk at this stage. And it's gone and Mabel takes it. No mercy from the younger dog who takes this victory just as time runs out, a famous win built on patience and sheer belief. For Olive, only thoughts of what might have been, but only herself to blame. She's given this one away and that will hurt most of all. Bad dog. There you go. That was for all you sports fans out there who are just dying to watch some live sports. Uh, I hope that uh, helped you this morning. Now, maybe you've been watching the, the draft the last couple of days, and uh, that's, that's given you a sports fix. But that little video was just some uh, live sports action there for you sports fans. Also, some, uh, some dogs for all you dog lovers out there. As you know, I'm not a dog person. Uh, although we do now have a dog and I'm slowly becoming a little bit of a dog person. But, uh, but yeah, so we've been making these adjustments, haven't we? And I want to talk a little bit more about that this morning. Just um, this whole idea, in fact, today and next Sunday, we're going to talk about this. Um, what do you do? What do you do when your whole world gets turned upside down? What's that like? How do we respond now, this could be due to a number of factors. Maybe um, it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's a relationship that ended and you just didn't see uh, the cause of the end coming at all. Um, it could be something like a sports injury. Maybe you're a young person and you had plans for college. You had everything mapped out. Sports was going to take you all through school. And then suddenly an injury comes along and everything changes and your whole world turns upside down. I bet some of you watching can, can think of situations in your life where something like that has happened. In fact, let's be honest, I think all of us can relate to a certain extent right now with what's been happening over the last few weeks with COVID-19. Our, our worlds have been turned upside down. 
See, I don't want to just talk about minor setbacks this morning. We all face those, the minor setbacks. That's the, the flat tire, uh, the broken washing machine, switching lines at the grocery store because the other one seems to be moving faster. But when you get into that line, it slows down. Then the line you just came out of, that starts to move faster. I mean, those, those are all annoyances. They are setbacks, but they don't really turn your world upside down, do they? They're not really life-changing. In 2009, uh, Casey and I, my wife and I, the family, we'd uh, been on a trip in the summer to Florida, and uh, we came home to Washington, and we opened the front door of our house, and we knew instantly something was wrong. There was just black everywhere. The walls were black. There was soot everywhere. We knew something terrible had happened while we'd been gone. We went down to the basement and discovered that while we were gone, there had been a storm. Lightning had struck a utility pole outside our house. It sent a surge of electricity into our house, and the TV in our basement, it blew up. I mean, literally just blew up, caught fire. We were incredibly fortunate because even though it caught fire, it appears that the fire itself burned itself out. But it obviously stayed ablaze. It stayed burning long enough to, to fill the whole house with soot and smoke and just damage everywhere. As we walked around the house, we saw that there really wasn't a single spot in the whole house that wasn't in some way damaged. Everything had to be thrown away. For the next six months, our whole world was upside down. It was crazy. We had to move out and move into a hotel in Peoria, our sons were, uh, I think, about six and eight at that point, maybe um, seven and nine. Emma had just been born. She was just a year or two old. All five of us in a hotel room. Everything changed. Life as we knew it, just regular day-to-day -day life, it changed completely. As a family, we had to adjust to all these new things. And I'll be honest, even in our faith, following Jesus, there were adjustments. There were, there were ways that we were stretched that we'd never been stretched before. I bet some of you are going through emotions like that right now. Maybe because your work life has changed or maybe your work has, has ceased altogether. Having the kids home, uh, whatever it may be, Many of us can relate to the idea of what it looks like for our world to be upside down. So I want to look at a, a period of time in the Bible where this happens to a group of people. We're going to go on a little bit of a, a history lesson here this morning. We're going to go all the way back to Genesis and uh, the very beginnings of the people of Israel. If you read through the Old Testament, you start to see that God um, has this special relationship with the Jews, with the people of Israel, and it's this crazy journey that continues all the way on through the Old Testament. And it can be traced all the way back to Genesis chapter 17 and a man by the name of Abraham. God spoke to Abraham one day and said, Abraham, I'm going to use you to bring into being this massive group of people. You will have hundreds, thousands, millions of descendants. In fact, he called Abraham the father of many nations because from Abraham would come the people of Israel. Genesis 17 verse 8 says this, I will give the entire land of Canaan 
where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever. And I will be their God. Your descendants for years to come, I will be their God. And this came to pass. If you read through the Bible, you'll see that Abraham's descendants grew and grew. And, and so much so that at that time they were living in Egypt. And the, Egypt, the Egyptians were kind of afraid of just how large of a population this was becoming. So they put them into slavery. And after years of the Israelites being in slavery, crying out to God, he heard their cries. And he sent Moses, and, and Moses rescued them. And they wandered through the wilderness, but the goal was that they were going to be led to this new place, to Canaan, to Israel, to the promised land. And that's where they found themselves. Joshua leads them into the promised land, and they begin this new life, the people of Israel, in this place that God had promised them. Over time, they became more and more established. When they were going through the wilderness, they had this massive tent that they carried with them. And it was what they used. Every time they came to a stop, they would set up the tent. And this is where they would gather to worship God. And after all their wanderings, once they'd finally found their way home, under the leadership of a king by the name of Solomon, they finally they got rid of the tent and they built a temple. A massive church building that became the center of their community, the center of their country. And now there was a place where all of the Jewish people could come and they could worship God. So imagine what that must have been like thousands of years ago. All these people gathered together. This this incredible temple in the middle of Israel. Their entire identity, their, their people, their homes, their businesses, even their religion was all together in this one place. Everything was tied together in this place that they called home. And then their world was turned upside down. Around 600 BC, so 600 years before Jesus himself was born, Israel was attacked. Israel was attacked by a neighboring nation called the Babylonians. And over the course of several years, these these Babylonian people under the leadership of a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, he came in and, and he conquered their place. He destroyed their city and he captured their people. You can read about this in 2 Kings chapter 24. It says in verses 13 through 14, Nebuchadnezzar carried away all the treasures from the Lord's temple and the royal palace. He stripped away all the gold objects that King Solomon of Israel had placed in the temple. King Nebuchadnezzar took all of Jerusalem captive, including all of the commanders and the best of the soldiers, craftsmen, artisans, 10,000 in all. Only the poorest were left in the land. Nebuchadnezzar began this campaign against Israel, taking everything, leaving the buildings, leaving some people, but taking all the best of the best out of Israel and back to Babylon. Over the course of the next few months and years, it got even worse. The people left behind were trying to hold on to their culture, trying to hold on to their their identity, their existence with what was left. But there was another stage to the Babylonian attack. Listen to what it says in 2 Kings chapter 25, verses 9 through 10. He then burned down the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. He destroyed all the important buildings in the city. 
Then he supervised the entire Babylonian army as they tore down the walls of Jerusalem on every side. So not only have all the people been taken, not only have all the treasures been taken, now this king and his soldiers, they come in, they destroy the temple, they destroy the palace, they even tear down the walls, which in this culture, in this day and age, this was, this was what identified a city. This was the fortifications. This was the edge, the boundaries of the city, and he wiped all of it away. Their world was turned upside down. For this great group of people, this, the people of Israel, their world was changed forever for 70 years. For the next 70 years, they would live in captivity in Babylon before eventually being able to return to their land and rebuild. For 70 years, they had to figure out how to adjust to life in this new world of theirs. And it was painful. It was painful in every area of their lives, in every part of their identity, but especially with regards to their relationship with God. Because you see, everything they knew about their relationship with God was wrapped up in where they lived. That's where the temple was. That's where the palace was. That's where their homes and their businesses were. It was almost as if the reason we worship God is because we live in Israel. It was all tied together, and now that's been stripped away And it felt like not only had they been ripped away from their home, but they've been ripped away from their God. And we know the effect that this had on them. We know because they wrote down the emotions and and the misery of what they were going through. Some of the Psalms, as you read through the Psalms, a lot of the Psalms were written at different times and for different reasons. Some of the Psalms were written by the people of Israel while they were captive in Babylon. Psalm 137 was written for that very purpose. Listen to what Psalm 137 said. And and just as as we're talking about this, we're going to read it together now. Um, Imagine these are the Israelites being taken from their, their world that they knew. Everything's turned upside down. Everything's changed. So listen to their cry to God in Psalm 137. But listen to it through the filter of, of what we're going through right now in our lives. Or maybe a time in your life when your world was turned upside down. Psalm 137, beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of poplar trees, for our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn, sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget how to play the harp. May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I fail to remember you, if I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. They were having this crisis of faith. Verse 4 said, how can we sing songs? How can we worship God while in a pagan land? For us, worshiping God is what we associated with the way things used to be. When we were in Jerusalem, when we were in Israel, how can we worship God now? You know, this particular psalm is known as a psalm of lament. 
There are several psalms throughout all the psalms that are designated to be psalms of laments. And, and I've got to be honest, I'm glad that those psalms are in the Bible. Because it's, it's God's way of showing, I think, sometimes it's okay to be sad. It's okay to lament. It's okay to grieve what once was or to grieve something that has happened. I remember after um, our fire, there was a time when the insurance investigator came in and he looked around and he assessed the damage and he went through all our options and talked about everything. And then a group of people came through and they helped us itemize. Um, all of the stuff was in our house because insurance was going to cover the cost of replacing it. And then this day came... I remember it so well. This day came when they they delivered a dumpster into our front yard. And the workers came and they just started to take our stuff, carry it outside, and just throw it into the dumpster. Everything we owned was all damaged by the fire. Furniture, clothes, toys, years of memories being tossed away. And even though insurance was going to cover the cost, this had emotional this had value to us I remember Casey stood with me on the driveway she was just crying seeing all of this stuff being thrown away do you know what in that moment I didn't say come on Casey you're a pastor's wife come on kids gather around we're going to start to sing some praise songs now to worship God we're Christians and we're going to stand and we're going to sing while everything we love is being discarded come on let's sing (laughs) obviously this wouldn't have happened because I can't play the guitar but In that moment, it wasn't a joyful time. It was a time of lament. And maybe in your life, you've had a similar experience. Maybe in the last month, you've had a similar experience. Our worlds have been turned upside down. I think every one of us, in one way or another, has been affected. And at times, like the people of Israel... Maybe we felt that, that time of lament. We, we, we recognize, we can almost relate to that psalm because we feel that that pain, that our world that once was, is no more. And maybe like the people of Israel, we've even found ourselves asking that same question. How do I continue to follow God when everything is different? This has affected my family. This has affected my job. Uh, this has affected so many parts of my life. But when it comes to my relationship with God, It's changed things. For many of us, a big part of our relationship with God was was coming here on a Sunday morning, seeing friends and neighbors and people from our community, worshiping God together, singing, dropping our kids off to, to hear great messages and great stories about how much Jesus loves them, spending time with people in the lobby afterwards, catching up over the week. I know for many of you, that was like a great start to the week. It just kind of reset everything and really put you in the place you wanted to be as you went into your next week. For others, um, it's missing that connecting, whether it's here on a Sunday morning with a team that you might have served with or a a group that you gathered with every week or two in our connect groups. And and because of this this lockdown right now, you're, you're not getting to connect like that. And we find ourselves asking, how do we do church while we're in lockdown? I found myself asking that over the last four or five weeks as the pastor here. You know, next Sunday, as we continue to look at the idea of how our worlds have been turned upside down, we're actually going to discover that for the people of Israel, in the midst of this lament, in the midst of this crying out to God, they're going to discover that God showed up in a huge way. 
You're going to hear an amazing story next Sunday of how God showed up and showed how even when they weren't at their regular place, even when they weren't in their home, God was still with them and still showed up in ways that they'd never seen him show up before. But today, today I want to leave you with a challenge. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, I want you to answer these two questions for me. Just just think about these questions. And maybe these are questions that you need to think about every day this week. You need to be asking yourself again and again these two questions. They're this. Number one, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus? And then the second question, and that's to you personally. To you personally, what does it look like in your life? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? The second question, what does following Jesus look like in my upside-down world? What does following Jesus look like for me now in my upside-down world? You see, the Israelites, they'd become identified as God's people by their geography, by where they lived, by the temple. And the truth is, if, if the only thing that defined for us um, that we were Christ followers was that we attended a church service on a Sunday morning, and that's gone, now would be a really good time to reevaluate what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. Because you might discover, as you ask yourself those questions, as things have changed, that actually God's wanting to use this time to teach you something about your relationship with him. He's wanted to make some changes in your life. Maybe like the Israelites, there was a time when when your relationship with God was was formed like the Israelites when they were in in Jerusalem. And when they were taken away, they thought, well, that's it. Everything about our relationship with God was left back there. They had to reevaluate who God was in their lives. In the same way, we may need to reevaluate as well. And we may discover as well that during this time, in this upside-down world, that God wants to teach us some new things about him and about us and about our relationship with him. Wouldn't it be awesome if in months, years to come, we look back and say, man, that changed my relationship with God. That period of time that at first I saw as a, uh, maybe a negative thing or a, a lamenting kind of thing, I, I actually can see now how that was something that God was using to change my perspective of him. I heard a psychologist talking this week at a, uh, a, an online seminar I was watching, and she was talking about um, the whole COVID-19 crisis, and she deals a lot with um, adults, but she also deals a lot with kids, and she said that she specializes in this. She speaks to a lot of people about anxiety. That's one of the areas she really likes to talk to people about a lot. And she said she noticed this, especially with kids, more than adults, with kids. She said when this, this first started to come to light back in um, February, you know, early March time, she said she, she noticed the anxiety levels with kids shot up. That all the, the talk of this coming virus and all the talk that was going on, she said kids who either didn't have anxiety were now starting to show anxiety. Kids who already had anxiety were having much greater levels of anxiety. And she said what she came to realize, because this was before the schools closed down, that a lot of this was because kids were at school with their friends. There was a lot of misinformation at the time. No one was really sure what was going on. Kids were talking to each other, sharing what they thought. And and all of that was pushing the anxiety levels higher. She said, then I noticed something really incredible happened. That when the schools closed down and all these kids were uh, forced to stay at home, I noticed that as I'm talking to these kids, 
like to remarkable levels, anxiety levels dropped. Like as fast as they'd gone up, that's how fast they went back down. She said, I started talking to kids and, and they were telling me things like, I just, I love getting to spend this extra time with my parents. I love that we get to eat together more often now. I love that we get to play games together. I love being able to get outside and, and spend time with my family. Some of them even said, you know, I love just being able to be alone in my room. It actually dropped the levels of anxiety. It took a lockdown to reveal this, but I'm hoping that some of these positive changes that these kids and these families are seeing, I hope that when things go back to normal, that some things will change. That they'll recognize, wow, it took me going there to see those changes. I, I want those changes to continue on. What are you learning about Jesus right now? What's he teaching you in this, in this upside-down world that you find yourself in? When I was thinking back to that fire, that chapter of our lives in 2009, it was crazy, you know, because even though the insurance paid for everything and eventually we moved back into our house and uh, everything worked out just fine, throughout that experience, several times, many times, people came and and were incredibly generous. They bought us gift cards, they gave us checks, they bought toys for our kids. And every time I would say, guys, guys, I appreciate it. You don't have to do that. We've, the insurance is covering this. We don't need, but they said, we just want to bless you. We just want you to be encouraged at this time. Being on the receiving end of that generosity changed me, changed Casey and I. It showed us what it looks like to experience gratitude. It showed us what it looked like to, to see generosity at work. It changed us. We vowed that we would always, wherever possible, try and show that generosity to others. If ever we knew of anyone going through a difficult time, we were going to do the exact same thing. We weren't going to ask if people needed help. We were just going to help them. We weren't going to ask if they needed something. We were just going to give them a gift card or a restaurant gift card or just say, hey, we want to we bless you with this because we'd experienced that. And while it was a terrible thing to go through, I look back now and see that God taught me something that he could only have taught me in that situation. So whatever you're going through right now, if there's a situation that's turning your world upside down, I hope and pray that you'll find God in it, that you'll see how he's at work in your life, that you'll ask those questions. What does it mean for me to be a follower of Jesus? And what does following Jesus look like right now in my upside-down world. Can we pray together? God, as I uh, think about those people of Israel, I just cannot imagine what it must have been like to be ripped from everything they knew, their culture, their identity, their homes, their businesses, their faith, their religion, their temple, taken into this foreign place. And yet God still you were with them. Still, you met them where they were at. It actually took them being removed from that so they could see how much was their relationship with you and how much was just because of where they lived. And God, I think you're doing that in some of our lives as well. How much of my following of Jesus, how much of my personal faith right now is because I, I used to go to this building on a Sunday morning, I used to be a part of this group, and how much now things have changed how much of this, Lord, 
is me and you. So Father, I just pray at this time that you will speak to all of us. You will show us, Lord, what you want to teach us at this time, that we will grow and that we will come through this closer to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Uh, Have a fantastic week. Stay connected with us during the week, and we look forward to seeing you back online next Sunday morning.